Election Watch with James Neach on Radio Gibraltar. The TV programme with the leaders that has everyone talking. And the, the reference GSD. to discussing this debate Thank should you. be limited to the no. things your candidate has said oh, about your the candidate. About Thank, about you. The Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you very much. You have we are moving on. Pandora's box. No. It has been you have Can you stop? Pandora's stop box. it, please. You stop it, both Pandora's of you, please. Box. Hello, good evening. The heat is on as the leaders argued and answered questions from you, the audience, in the Leaders in the Spotlight, which was live on GBC. They did so on a wide variety of issues, including money. We've talked about finally being able to return Gibraltar to surplus after COVID. Before COVID, we were running bigger surpluses than had ever been run before. The public finances were more robust than they had ever been before. Having the debt, he's quadrupled it. Is that keeping Gibraltar safe to take us to the brink of financial collapse? where the government has no money. It was the first time we saw opponents Keith Asopardi and Fabian Picardo together since the election was announced and it came a day before they both launched their manifesto. Welcome to Election Watch. Under a bright future, what we mean by that is leaving no one behind, policies to, that leave no one behind, opportunity for all, not just a few, and living your best life. This is the only substantive programme for government which is ready to go, ready to roll, ready from the minute that you make us your government again if we are your choice in the next general election. In detail today, we'll take you through every twist and turn of the leaders' programme. Watching with me in the hall on the night was Stephen Nish, the former GBC News editor, and Nick Calamaro, the interim leader of Together Gibraltar. Gentlemen, good evening. Welcome to Election Watch. Thank you, James. Good evening, James. Stephen, good to see you again. Two weeks already have gone past since you were here last time. Absolutely. Like, I thought it was just one, but it is It uh, seems like only yesterday, <laughs> indeed. Um, Nick Calamaro, first of all, let me ask you, you were there in the hall. Of course, uh, you decided not to contest this election as Together Gibraltar. Whilst you were watching, should we have put a third podium? Did you think, well, oh, gosh, I'd love to be there, or the complete opposite? Yeah, well, definitely restless, sitting on the sidelines and wanting to get stuck in. But I think our analysis that this was going to be a divisive election was putting it very lightly. Stephen, is that very much what we saw on the night, uh, divisive leaders? Well, I think so. Um, we're going to be, uh, I think, listening to some clips in due course. The first two segments were, of course, much more relaxed, much more civilised when the leaders were being quizzed individually, but it, they both got hot under the collar at the, the different times in the third segment. Let's have a listen to this one, because I think this is probably at least one of those that I think uh, the three of us and, and many people uh, listening this evening will agree was perhaps when uh, uh, the temperature rose in the room. A vote for Asopaldi, given <laughs> what he said about cutting costs, given what his candidates have said about issues in the Middle East, a vote for Asopaldi is a vote for Andorra, austerity and potentially anti-Semitism. <laughs> So now we know who's behind the outrageous lies and memes. You. Didn't you watch my press conference? I will answer the question. Didn't you watch my press conference I, I, this morning? I, I will. No Can surprise. we please... I'm sorry, please allow Mr. Azapardi to answer the question. Otherwise, you will be asked to leave the auditorium. Thank you. To say that if you vote for the GSD, you're, it's a vote for anti-Semitism is a disgusting lie. Well, 
I'll tell you Carry something. I'll tell you something. I'm sorry. I'll tell you something. Mr. Pickard, no let him finish the minutes, please. You have to reply. You have to reply. You have to I would have said, I want to be heard. I want to be To say, to say... That's uh, from uh, the leaders in the spotlight from last uh, Thursday. Stephen Nish, can I start uh, with you? One of the most intense moments of the night? Well, I think you've chosen the, the juiciest <laughs> clip of all. Uh, let's, let's start strong. Let's hope the rest isn't an anti-climax <laughs> after that. That was obviously the one that touched uh, a very raw, raw nerve with Keith Asopardi, of course. And we know the background to that comes from uh, the GSD selection of Mr. Alhana as a candidate. I understand that there's been a statement, in fact, uh, about th- that selection uh, by the Jewish community today. So um, Mr. Picardo uh, thought it would be politically useful uh, to bring this up at the meeting. And Mr. Sopardi took great offence. I think his words there had been that they were outrageous lies. Yeah, we'll take a look at that statement which has come into the newsroom uh, late afternoon, I think. Nick Gallimardo, first, uh, your reaction to that segment? Yes, I think similar to Stephen there, like an incredibly um, passionate reaction from Keith about his own candidate, um, but quite, I'm not sure I should say disappointing, but I was very surprised by Mr. Picardo's decision to come back to this topic after I thought he spoke rather well on the topic during his own segment of the debate um, when answering audience questions. Because they both addressed it during the they course had, of the evening. They had, what and Stephen he referred, was saying was their individual performances. They had, they had. And Mr. Picardo referred to it as opening a wo- the comments that had been made by Mr. Elhana as opening a wound in Gibraltar's kind of small multicultural community. And I thought, had he left it there, it would have been a very sensible decision. But he decided to then bring the comments back up again in this very... Um, um, kind of loud, um, catchy way, um, clearly trying to get the message across, but all that it did was to reintroduce this topic, to reignite those very strong feelings, and to say that the matter wasn't, in fact, closed. It was something that the GSLP was going to keep hammering on about. And you and were both, sorry, you were both watching with me there in the right. audience. I don't know whether you've had a, a chance to watch it back on television because I, I watched the replay because obviously it got so loud in the hall that at points, I mean, I don't know about you, there were moments when I couldn't make out what they were saying because they yeah. were being drowned out by the crowd. Yeah, yeah, and speaking to the leaders themselves, it sounded like they were actually having difficulty hearing the questions over the noise, so that tells you the level of debate and the kind of interaction in the audience. Um, so it's definitely something that the leaders themselves but also the audience felt very, very passionate about... Yes, there was a a lot of um, heckling, in fact, I think, from shouts of shame on you. I'm not sure if they were directed at at Keith Asopardi or at uh, Fabian Picardo, but shame on you. And uh, at one point, poor Ros was struggling to keep them under control. I think she actually had to uh, threaten to ask people to leave the auditorium if they carried on like that. I'm not sure whether this was everybody. I don't know, Nick, whether you checked this, but when you watch back the programme, some of those chants of shame on you seem to come from the GSD camp, who is part of a group that stand up. Yeah, yeah, including, uh, including election including agents. Yes, yeah, yes. and candidates, in fact. Um, so that's something as well that we're, we see kind of party political actors getting involved and really trying to... Um, again, just capitalise on each of those statements and each side of the debate and just make it a bigger thing, which is something I'm sure we'll come back to uh, more broadly, but one thing perhaps 
worth mentioning is there was well there wasn't much of certainly in that last portion of the debate was much talk of kind of the policies or the ad- agendas it was very much um personality focused and focused on these um cultural issues shall we say Stephen, i think you want to come in yeah well i was going to say that i know it's naive of me but i wish that when the parties say that they want a good clean campaign they actually meant it and maybe what they could do is sign some non-aggression pact before an election campaign to say that they're not going to be throwing insults and uh, slanders almost at each other. Um, because then, it, 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 for example, Mr. Alhana, if that hadn't been unearthed, whatever it was he said, and I think it's wrong if what he said he said he actually did say, I haven't seen what he's written or purported to have written. If he did, it's wrong. But... Maybe if nobody had raised it, the election would have carried on and nobody would have been offended by anything. Let's uh, have a listen. I think we were mentioning earlier that uh, the this clip we've played was from part three where both of the leaders were on stage together. It's an issue that uh, both were asked about and both addressed individually during the course of the evening. This is what the leader of the GSD, Keith Asobardi, had to say. I was not aware of those comments. I've said to Yusuf very candidly that I thought some of those posts were wrong and unacceptable. He knows those views. I've said in no uncertain terms that they were wrong and unacceptable. I've said it publicly. I've said it to him and he has apologized. But my question is this, do we live in a society where a young man cannot make a mistake or do we give second chances to people? And and do we live in a society where a person who apologizes is hounded but someone who doesn't apologize for his mistakes isn't hounded and here's what the leader of the gslp liberals fabian picardo had to say i think that gibraltar is a place that has been blessed we used to talk about tolerance between our different religious communities and you know we now don't want to use the word tolerance. We want to take this further and we talk about respect because tolerance is when you just put up with the person who lives next door. Respect is when you love the person who lives next door. And I do feel that the leader of the opposition's failure to properly carry out due diligence on who his candidates were going to be, what they had said, has opened up a wound in our society which should never have been opened up and in my view it's a dangerous wound that may persist long beyond this general election. I call on all religious communities, all our communities and those of no religion to go back to the time when we love each other, when we respect each other and when we put Thank all you. those things to one side. Thank you. Fabian Picardo, that's uh, him speaking on Thursday. Sorry, Nick, were you saying no, something? No, no, yeah, just to comment on that bit, that's the clip I was referring to earlier mm-hmm. when I said I thought that was a much more uniting statement, a much stronger statement from Mr Picardo, um, focusing on the bits that unite us, on the positive message, on the let's leave this behind us and focus on as what unites us. Um, and it would have been, in my view, much cleaner, much um, tidier, much um, sending a message of positivity to leave it at that and Stephen, sorry, you were mentioning earlier there's been a message from the managing board of the Jewish community, a statement. In fact, it's quite a lengthy statement. Can I just uh, highlight some of the issues contained in it? It says the managing board of the Jewish community does not wish to get involved in politics, but is obliged to clarify certain misunderstandings arising from the current issues relating to GSD candidate Mr. Youssef Elhana. It goes on to one, two, three, four, uh, five quite lengthy paragraphs, and it says... 
They've identified at least more than 50 similar comments showing firmly held views which do not disappear overnight by virtue of a feeble apology. The Jewish community strongly condemns Mr Elhana's record of cruel, crass and blatantly anti-Semitic comments on social media. The statement from the Jewish community, from the board of the, the managing board of the Jewish community, goes on to say, having been exposed, Mr Elhana has allegedly seen the errors of his ways and has apologised. He apologised to, and this is a, a word he used on viewpoint, he said those people who Rosa Stenger from GBC managed to extract from him to mean the Jewish community. And the statement goes on to say, the sincerity of his apology must be left to each individual to determine, but there are few in the Jewish community who attach any value to it. He has, however, failed to condemn those cruel and anti-Semitic statements and totally distance himself from them and regret them. To give a second chance to someone who's obsessed with referring to the Holocaust with such little evidence of remorse is not realistic. The Jewish community also laments that Gibraltar's established tradition of zero tolerance on anti-Semitism has been ridden roughshod. Can I just pick up on one of the things in that statement, strongly worded statement and a lot to unpack from it. Uh, interestingly, that they chose to highlight the apology, but not the fact that he's looked back and seen the error of his way. So he's saying he's apologising for the comments and for the damage it's caused, but not necessarily for the errors of his ways. Does that make sense? Um, it's, 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 it's a really yeah. difficult one. It, yeah. No, no, so I'm happy to go. Um, so I think, yeah, obviously a very sensitive topic um, that we should discuss gently, but... Yeah, I think something that... Oh, sorry. <laughs> so they're trying to focus on, as you say, the apology and not the error of his ways. And I think that's something that Keith spoke very well on in regards to having spoken to Youssef about it, having hopefully kind of understood his point of view and knowing that it is something that he um, has changed his views on and that he wants to do better by. But I think the real question is what Mr. Gallagher then commented on of doing the due diligence on candidates yes, uh, and yeah. the fact that this is happening in the weeks, um, a few days leading up to an election rather than um, with t due time for voters to get to know someone, to get to know their views and for Mr. O'Hanna to kind of prove these things. Yep, and I think that the due diligence charge that the GSLP makes is a valid one because ultimately you have to be careful with the people that you choose and make sure that they haven't said something either recently or longer ago that might come back to, to bite them. And I think in Mr. Hanna's case, this was what had happened. He should have been much more moderate. He should have been much more, if you like, contrite. We don't know how sincere the apology is. I mean, the, yeah, the sensation yeah. among many people is that maybe it wasn't heartfelt, but as Keith Asopardi said on the night, at least he's apologised. And there are people saying other things and they're not apologising for them. And Keith Asobardi is very clear on the night. He says he was not aware of those comments before they surfaced in this election campaign. So but, when he signed but that, on... But that would be part mm. of the due diligence. He yes, wasn't aware, yeah. but he would have had to investigate the background of the candidates and unearth it yeah, well, before I think, it was unearthed by somebody else. Yeah, and I think something that's been left out of this is that it's about the welfare, not just of our community and about the GSD as a party, but of the individuals um, themselves involved. Like, I'm sure this has been a terrible, um, traumatic experience for Mr Elhana himself to mm. have gone through. Um, and so it's very disappointing that the GSD wasn't looking after his well-being by doing this vetting, because it's obviously something that, as a leader, you have a responsibility to the candidates that you intend to lead. And unfortunately, I think Mr. Spurley has 
failed his candidates by not doing that due diligence. It'll be interesting, James, I think, to see what actually ultimately happens with that because, as you know, on, on the night, uh, GBC told Mr Picardo that they had contacted the returning officer about Mr Alhanna's eligibility to vote and to stand for election and had been told that, as far as he was concerned, he was eligible. Mr Picardo then came back and said that he hadn't spoken to the returning officer himself and that he would get back to presumably us, GBC, or you. I still think it's <laughs> yes. us. You're, you're, very, think you're very welcome to use uh, us. That, that he would come back to us uh, with whatever the uh, returning officer says. This is now Tuesday. The debate was last Thursday. Thursday. Yep. We don't know whether that conversation has happened and whether the returning officer is still of the same view that he was when he told us what he originally said. Yes, and hopefully we can have uh, some sort of public statement from the returning officer to see what the situation is. Interestingly, whilst we're talking about all this as well, Yusuf Elhan as a candidate was actually sitting in the auditorium. I mean, I don't know, like, you know, Nick, you considered being part of the political arena, you wanted to stand for election. Stephen, you've covered uh, many elections before. I also suppose that, you know, forget about the merits of the apology, forget about the merits of what he has done. Yeah. You're sitting there in the auditorium and people are actually talking very openly yeah, about absolutely, you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that, I mean, I've only been filling in as the leader of Together Gibraltar for a very short time. But it is something that when we were considering running a slate of candidates, um, I felt very concerned about the well-being of those potential candidates because, again, you have a responsibility to those people to make sure that a campaign is going to is not going to affect their mental health, their families, their general well-being. And as I say, it must be incredibly hard for Youssef to sit there to be getting comments. Um, there was a lot of jeering from GSLP supporters and executive members, and that's very hard hard on you as a person. And it's something, again, that I think should be considered in all this. Because standing for election at the best of times must be quite tough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's yeah, and obviously there is a responsibility there from leaders. Having towards... said, having said all that, we have been discussing this uh, one of the big issues that emerged from Thursday night, and uh, we spent about what twenty minutes or so, more than fifteen minutes doing so, yes. which means that exa- we're doing exactly what we're also criticising of the campaign that we're not talking about the issues and some of the yes. other stuff. So let's let's move on, and if we have time, we'll come back to this. Uh, let's go to some of the other aspects of the debate uh, because a lot was said about uh, the truth and and the idea of not lying of honest politicians. Uh, this is one of the exchanges. And what we have with this government, unfortunately, is a crisis of the truth, a government that has for a long time manipulated the truth, and what we get is half-truths and downright lies sometimes. You're seeing some of the lies in this campaign already. Some slurs against me, for example. Those are downright lies. I've got a view of how we should deal with those issues, which is completely different to the views that he has. Having different views and expressing those different views is not lying. Telling the truth is about the things which are empirical, putting the facts before the electorate, and then letting the electorate make up their minds. I never fail to tell the truth to the people of Gibraltar. It's my first duty as their Chief Minister. Whilst we've been listening to that, I see Stephen Nish going through some of his notes. Stephen. Well, I was just basically following that that remark by Mr Picardo because I I, I wrote it down. Um, You will recall that he was quite... He was jeered at uh, at that point by a section of the crowd. And if if Keith Asopardi got upset... Um, very visibly when he, he was told that he was anti-Semitic or that, or that his party could have been interpreted as being anti-Semitic. Potentially, I think, potentially, I think yes. If, if, if Keith Asopardi got hot under the collar then, mm. 
I think that Mr. Picardo got very upset when people jeered him at that point. He also said, if I remember correctly, that 2021 and 2022 had been very difficult, or 2020 and 2021 had been the most difficult years of his life with COVID, with Brexit. People basically laughed at him when he said that, and you could see in his face that he was very upset, and I think he went on to actually say that um, they weren't doing the electorate any favours by behaving like that. I think you're absolutely right. Let's listen to uh, that comment. I think it's this one that you're referring to. I have had probably the worst 2020 and 2021 I have ever had. But I've had an even worse. I've had an even worse. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, audience. Thank you. Please allow the leaders to speak. Thank you. I don't think that that mocking either of us on these issues is going to help either side, I must say, with respect to the audience. I've had an even worse 2023. I've used every minute that I've had to govern and, where possible, to extend my hand to the opposition. We've worked together on a lot of issues. We haven't perhaps met as often as we might have wanted to. Keith, obviously, as leader of the opposition, might want more information. We haven't been able to give him more information on Brexit. But if we haven't met in that committee, it's not because of negligence or recklessness in our part. It has just not been possible. Fabian Picardo speaking in uh, the leaders in the spotlight live from the John McIntosh Hall last Thursday. Stephen, I think that's the comment you're referring to. Do we sometimes almost forget as a community, I suppose, that those standing for election are human? Absolutely. And we also forget, I think, the hard work that ministers and in particular the chief minister has to put in. And it's easy to say you should have done this, that and the other. And it's easy to say that you're using a COVID and Brexit as an excuse. But the reality is that we did have a pandemic that had to be dealt with. People were scared that they were going to die, or that they could die if they got the the disease. We were very quick. The government was very quick off the mark in securing from the UK the vaccines. That's, I think, in many cases, were being administered here before they were being administered in many cities in the UK. So it it is easy for all of us to sit on the sidelines and say, ah, COVID is just an excuse. Ah, Brexit is just an excuse. It isn't. I mean, it, it's obviously a matter for conjecture how much more might have been done, if anything, than what was done by the government during those difficult years. But we'll never know that. And one thing that I think everybody will will, will accept and will acknowledge is that any chief minister of Gibraltar, going back to Sir Joshua Hassan, through uh, Bob Belisa, through, uh, through Adolfo Canepa, and everyone that we've had, works very hard and I think has the best interest of this community at heart. You were talking about uh, the vaccines there. I was living in London at the time and I remember all of my family in Gibraltar being vaccinated way before I was. And I I was living in London. And Nick, we're talking about politics. It's vicious, isn't it? it, Absolutely. And I mean, you heard from the crowd there, the jeering and just the general tone of, I think, frustration, really. And that's a topic I wanted to talk a bit about because something that kept coming across both from the leaders but from the audience as well was what's defining this campaign does seem to be divisiveness and frustration. Like, it's something I've commented on in other um, uh, articles, but um, it really is... It, this does, election does in many ways seem like an election on the GSL... The, a referendum on the GSLP's time in office, um, and it's something that the GSDs... And when we talk about Keith's clips there, he really was focusing on not so much what he would do, what what he would do as an individual, but how what he would do differently, and what a GSD government would do differently, and the track record to, of the government. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I think 
Yeah, just the general frustration from the audience conveys those feelings that, for many people at least, they are very, um, for one reason or another, frustrated with the sense of things and they're focusing on the problems rather than, as you say, um, the bits that have been gotten right. Which is fair in a way. I mean, as as politicians, our job is to do the best for the public and obviously the public needs to call politicians out when they fall short. Uh, Stephen, you've, you've covered uh, some of these uh, leaders. They, they might have been called different things in, in the past, uh, but live from the John McIntosh Hall on GBC television. Has the audience always been that loud? Um, do we get sort of pockets of the audience being like that? Does it depend on the year? There's always an element of it, but I think that it's particularly intense when the election is perceived as being very close, which I think it is this time. It was in 1996, for example, when there was, in, in effect, a change of government. There was a very vociferous uh, crowd at, at the meetings then. It is, again, the case now. I'm not saying that this is necessarily going to be a change of government, but everyone reckons that the election will be close. The, the poll that GBC did indicated as much. I think it gave it a 2% lead only. And a huge the, portion and undecided. Huge, exactly. So it's going to happen in any election, but particularly so when it's a divided, uh, almost down the middle, electorates. And, of course, the parties will tell us that the, the poll that counts, the only real poll is the one on the night, but they will have looked at the data, they will have poured over the Absolutely. data. Is there perhaps a little bit, and I'm going to put this question out there for you to answer, you can both take it <laughs> as, as you please, is there a little bit from the party activists and the party supporters of playing to the gallery and trying to show that each of the candidates has more support than the other? Oh, definitely. I mean, I don't know if you're referring to the debate or just the general campaign. I was, was referring to the debate, but the general campaign yeah, works yeah. for me. So, um, no, so in the debate, it was very interesting being there in the room and then watching it back on um, on GBC uh, on GBC websites um, because being there in the room, you don't know who's necessarily doing the jeering, who's doing the cheering, but then you have the cameras thankfully panning to the audience and when you're watching it on television, you realise, or at least someone who's been w uh, with the campaigns and knows the individuals, that the most noise is being made from the party camps themselves, including the executives and the and even some of the candidates, which really puts a different spin on things because I think, in a way, it comes across slightly badly on those campaigns because it's an act of either desperation or of just not really respecting the audience and the democratic process. Can, it not, you, be seen... can it not be genuine support? I'm, I'm playing it, the devil's advocate it, it, here. I, I suppose it can be, but when 80% um, of the audience is kind of listening attentively and trying to uh, hear what the leaders have to say and it's the uh, my, my minority kind of getting up and making a lot of noise every time, it does ring a bit hollow. It's also interesting... Sorry, your mic, social... was, your mic was down. Sorry, my, my uh, mistake. I was going to say that it's also interesting when you look at social media after a debate like that or a, a programme like that, you're going to get the two camps equally divided. One side will focus on what th their candidate did properly in their, in their view and the other candidate did wrong and almost the mirror image <laughs> is what you see from the other side. And it's interesting when you read that because you look at the names and I think this is you know, where Gibraltar and being a small community, we all know each other, we know who the supporters are, but everybody writes it as if they were just one more yes, observer, not yeah. from the the point of view of, well, I was there supporting this party and I saw this. Yeah. It's almost like they're saying it from an 
non-biased perspective. Yeah, which in a community as small as ours is always a bit strange, in my opinion. But I imagine there are a lot of people who perhaps don't know the individuals or aren't that politically engaged, and maybe um, it does have an effect. Election Watch with James Nietzsche on Radio Gibraltar. We're discussing the leader's performance last week at the John McIntosh Hall. Of course, it came on the eve of both parties launching their manifestos. Uh, quite comprehensive manifestos, uh, two extremely big booklets. I think uh, the GSLP manifesto, if I can quickly have a look, comes in at around 150. 54 pages. Uh, the GSD have a summary manifesto, but their main manifesto also comes in at around, actually at 147 pages to be precise. And this Thursday on GBC, Thursday evening, will be a first chance to talk to Keith Asobardi and Fabian Picardo in Meet the Media, the leaders Meet the Media, where they will be asked about uh, a lot about the contents from those manifestos and the election campaign. But right now, with Stephen Nish and Nick Calamaro, we're concentrating on their performance last Thursday at the John McIntosh Hall. Let's move to one of the other hot topics, Andorra. People know that I do not support an Andorra model for Gibraltar. I have said it often enough. I've said it, I've said it often enough. I've said it often enough. I said it on a program when Fabian was there and he was nodding. Now he's going the other way. But he was there nodding when I said that I do not support an Andorra model and that it would never be a model for Gibraltar. I'm not saying that Keith would propose an Andorra-style solution. Ah. I'm saying it would be proposed Ah. to him. I'm saying Ah. it would be proposed to him because of what he has written before. Let's go to Stephen Nish on this one. Well, um, my... Initial observation, if you like, is that what Keith Asopardi said there is true because I've checked it in the manifesto and um, he's actually got the clip that he referred to in in the programme last week. What page are you looking at, sorry? This this would be on page 32, in fact, of the GSD Mm -hmm. manifesto and the, the clip is from the 2011 leaders' debates just before the 2011 general election, a debate that I chaired, in fact. And um, Keith Asopardi basically says there that the Andorra model is not going to be a solution for Gibraltar. And you do actually see Mr. Picardo nodding, as as uh, Keith Asopardi says. Nick, what did you make of that exchange? Um, so so I think it's, uh, as, as Stephen says, there's definitely a truth to what Mr. Asopardi is saying. It's definitely... <coughs> Not and I, and I think it's something that no, you know, it's not a policy that he would pursue. Um, but it's interesting how Mr. Picardo then worded his statement, saying it that the Andorra solution is a model that would be proposed to Keith mm. rather than what Keith would be, what, what Keith would be the one proposing, which I think speaks to a larger tension that Mr. Picardo is trying to draw attention to, which is essentially he's saying how tough is. Uh, Mr. Sabadli going to be as a negotiator, how uh, much concession is he willing to make to Spanish negotiators? And it's a criticism that um, Sepita Garuana received a lot of comments on as well during his time in office and obviously now in retrospect. And uh, Mr. Sabadli does like to reference his time working with Sir Peter Cajarana, um negotiating with Spain. And at the so time there's obviously saw... still a... Sorry, yeah, carry on, carry no, on. No, no, so it's obviously still a, um, despite being an old topic, mm. um, it's still very much a hot topic, and Gibraltar obviously being in a situation where we are in many ways susceptible to the actions and the decisions made by the Spanish negotiating team. So although the exact accusation about Andorra, I think, is quite weak and doesn't fall... 
it's, I think, a way of basically sending this message of the, G- the GSLP trying to say, we have a very clear, um, almost kind of non-academic stance on um, our relationship with Spain and our constitutional sovereignty, um, whereas someone, whereas Mr. Asabadavi has a more complex one which may, in some ways, leave Gibraltar vulnerable. I mean, referencing a book written by Mr. Asabadavi, which was an academic text, I believe he mentioned it was his um, PhD thesis. So, so obviously that was a much more deep uh, doc- document, but it's something that certainly Mr. Begadav is trying to signal as a weakness. Mm. And, and of, of course it was never, um, it was never actual a policy from the GSD, and in 2011, which is the year that we're referring to when the leaders' debate took place, Mr. Sopardi was representing the PDP. He was the leader of the PDP. And in their manifesto that year, there was no mention of Andorra. In fact, what he suggested could be a way forward for Gibraltar was free association with the UK. Yeah. So I think that really uh, this Andorra business is a is a bit of a red herring or a dead duck. Yeah, no, I'd, no, I'd like to get your um, both your perspectives on whether Miss um, Asabadi is right to address this issue head-on. Because, as I mentioned, I think the GSLP are very much using it as a shibboleth to talk about um, negotiations of Spain. And certainly, in my perspective, by focusing so much on the specific topic of Andorra, Miss uh, Asabadi is um, essentially giving them an own goal when he could just be ignoring the Andorra question and just saying very clearly and unequivocally, I will not give... You see, any grounds on sovereignty. Exactly, because this is why I was going to ask. It really is coming up, I suppose, in the context of the treaty negotiations. It's one of those moments where I suppose that both leaders are wanting to be seen as strong on the sovereignty issue. um, The GSLP Liberals are saying that this is an election being fought on who decides and who goes forward to captain the ongoing treaty negotiations. And I suppose that they're this toing and throwing so that... There's almost, I mean, I don't know, mud sticks, perhaps? Is that one of the issues that perhaps one of the sides is, is think, trying and I then think, one of the others also wants to be seen as the strong candidate? I think partly, but I think it's also just the fact that the GSC have, um, although, as you say, there is truth to their statements, emotionally they're not giving a very satisfying answer. The GSLP and the Liberals and um, Dr Garcia especially have always had a very, very strong stance on these negotiations and regardless of what Gibraltar's actual role is in the negotiations, their stance that not one iota of sand will ever be ceded, um, that's something that's very, I imagine, um, uh, gives most voters a sense of security. The GSD answer, which is much more academic and much more contextual and potentially even more correct, it doesn't give that kind of visceral emotional feeling that these people will keep our sovereignty intact. That's right. It's much more emotive to say, if you if you get Keith Asopar in the GSD, you're going to get Andorra. No, and people can understand that unequivocally. It isn't a nuanced message. It's out there in your face, which I think, that's, from the GSLP point of view, is what it wants to say to its supporters and to the waverers who mm. perhaps aren't going to understand uh, an academic argument as expounded in Keith Asopardi's book, which I think was in 20, 2007 or, or 2008, a long time ago. And very clear that both sides uh, don't agree on what the main issues that this election yeah, should be. Yeah, so that's something that I wanted to talk about in the context of the um, decisions that 
the so obviously both leaders had some prepared kind of topics and questions from the audience that they really wanted to get at and i think it's very interesting what the leaders decided those should be so mr sabadi we had a clip earlier um him talking about the truth and corruption and the difference between himself and mr bigardo uh whereas mr bigardo decided to focus it much more on kind of bread and butter uh topics and in fact decided to um basically announce the release of his manifesto by talking about the expansion of St Martin's school so obviously two totally totally different directions that these leaders were going one talking about mm-hmm. nepotism corruption and honesty and the other one talking about healthcare education and housing was the other one that I, they I've got one of those clips that I want to use but I think it's perhaps important to explain to our listeners and perhaps you're also listening to this on GBC podcasts on how that a discussion how that TV program works uh, so that everybody understands we give a number of tickets to each of the parties which therefore ensures there are representations from both parties then there are some tickets which went to NGOs and other associations and about um, just short of 100 tickets that went on for general distribution and for which people queued so you know whether you think that was a 50-50 split it depends on who was in that queue for 100 but each of the parties got i think i remember around 60 tickets each so i suppose that to a certain degree both of the candidates were expecting some of the questions to come from their supporters. Yeah, absolutely. And, and from their supporters for, for the, for the course, other candidates. Yes. Yeah, yeah. B- both ways. You know? and, and some, you of, the, some of those some... would not have come as a surprise. Exactly. I think that most of the questions, with one or two exceptions possibly, you know, I think that maybe Mr Picardo was a little bit taken aback by when he, when he reacted so... Uh, if you like, when he became so upset that, uh, that when they suggested that maybe he wasn't being entirely honest with the electorates. But other than that, I think that the questions, they, they, they should have uh, anticipated. If they didn't, they ought to have. Yeah, here's one that uh, Nick Calamaro picked out. Will you acknowledge the mistreatment of Moroccans by Sergio Bosano? The five years of demonstrations outside number six? the forced deportations and blocking of chil- and the blocking of children from accessing education and health care. And will he ever acknowledge and apologise for this? Yeah, so I wanted to pick out this clip because I thought this one was um, very brave, not just in on- asking this question, um, but when Mr Bigaro gave his initial answer, which um, in a typical political fashion he kind of spun around, um, didn't give a yes or no answer about the apology, but did go on to discuss uh, what the GSLP administration had done for... Um, people of Moroccan ethnic background, um, she actually raised the question again and just asked him, like, look, I'm, I'm asking for a very clear yes or no answer. Will Mr. Bosano apologise to the Moroccan community for the treatment they received in the 80s and 90s under the GSLP government? And it's something that Mr. Bigarado just wasn't able to answer with a clear yes or no. That may have been when, when they were referring, when Keith Asopardi referred to... Um, the GSLP candidates making comments yeah. and never apologising. Yes. Maybe he had this in mind. Exactly. And there, and there had been clips circulating on social media um, of comments made by Sir Jovasan in the first GSLP administration. And I imagine it was in reference to some of those comments, which were quite insensitive. I mean, even for the time, there were signs outside number six in the 80s of, from Unite the Union and from the Moroccan community who... This isn't a matter of us looking back and saying it's wrong. It's something that... 
even in the 80s, the the unions and the Moroccan workers realised was very unfair treatment. Yeah, and Thursday night, moving on, was one of the first opportunities we had to see what the GSLP Liberal Manifesto looked, even if it was from afar. Uh, this is how Fabian Picardo introduced it. I said, we will build a new St. Martins, and build a new St. Martins we did. We, we built... We built the St. Martins that we were advised would be sufficiently large for the current generation and future generations of people needing the recourse at St. Martins. Luckily, we built it as part of a campus of two other schools. Already, because St. Martins needs expansion, they're using surplus classrooms in the other schools in a corridor that runs right across the three schools, and that's enabled them to have the space that they sorely needed after this summer. But to give them more in this document which will be launched in coming days, which is the manifesto from the GSLP Liberals from this coming general election, which is a document of real substance, you will see our plans for the extension of St. Martin's again. A document of substance, as he calls his manifesto. Interesting that he decides to highlight St. Martin's school. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that clip kind of shows Mr. Picardo at his best in that he's talking about, uh, again, the bread and butter issues that affect voters and kind of their daily lives, their children, um, and, but also being in the detail and kind of on the ground and knowing what is actually required and how these processes go. So I think it was a very wise decision by the GSLP to focus on that, especially in what has been a very frustration-driven, divisive campaign. It's a breath of fresh air almost to be talking about something that is, as they would describe it, uh, substantial. And Stephen, this must be so hard because when you're in politics, and I think one of the things we've seen covering many stories over the years is that what matters to you doesn't necessarily matter to me and vice versa. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not sure that having a, a manifesto that stretches to 150-odd pages is a good is a good thing to be honest with you. I, mean, I think people that I've spoken to say that you know, for a start, they say that the promises that are in there are very often not kept by the parties, and that it's too tedious to get through so many pages. A, a succinct, to the point manifesto like we used to get get back in the eighties and even earlier might be more productive and might be better received well, by I, the electors. I was just going to say, I've never considered myself a slow reader. <laughs> I got through the GSLP Liberal Manifesto yesterday in five hours, <laughs> and I am going through the GSD Manifesto today. It's already taken me an hour, and I'm not in, even a quarter of the way in on that manifesto. So, I mean, this is a lot of hours, but do people read them all, or is it more about having a roadmap for the future when you look at this manifesto, or perhaps you go into the section... That interests you. I think the GSP has a summary, but even the summary is quite long, isn't it? It's 50 yeah. or 60 pages. Absolutely. So, and it's, it's so one bit that stuck out to me is that a lot of proposals yes, from both uh, parties. Six, sorry, 60, 68, 68 pages. There you are. Yeah, uh -huh. so, so a lot of the proposals from bo in both manifestos are about conducting feasibility studies or about investigating or this, that, and the other. Um, so they're not even focusing on sureties that they know they can deliver, but they want to make sure that. Um, they're covering essentially every single base and that they get seen, as I imagine there's a desire there to be seen as um, just kind of analytic and co and covering as much ground as possible. And as you say, James, of trying to... I'm sure every voter has their top priority and they want to make sure that whatever your top priority is, it's in uh, there somewhere. Yeah, and, and it's one of those comprehensive manifestos. Both parties will want to say, yes, like you're saying, it is in there. We are 
allocating time yes. to dedicate to this, yes. which is important to you. Sorry, Stephen. Uh, oh, I remember when I was still at GBC and, and <laughs> preparing the debates, and if we were looking at the manifestos of the parties, I'd do a list of, of, of what their main commitments were. I would discard automatically anything that said we will consider, we will explore, we will conduct a review, because that's, and nothing is nothing, really. I, I, I only focused on the firm commitments, and in the debates on Thursday, I made a list of five, of five commitments that I think you could classify as more or less firm, one from Keith Asopardi and the other from Fabian Picardo. For, from Mr. Asopardi, five concrete example, uh, commitments that he gave, which I imagine might be in a manifesto, although I haven't yet had a chance to read it, were no turning back of the clock on LGBTW rights, respecting the result of the abortion referendum. He said that um, the GSD, if they were returned to office, would not change the law that came into effect during the last uh, legislature. Uh, an anti-corruption programme, although that perhaps is a little bit more vague, and uh, solemn promises, as he called it, Mr Sopardi, to carry out parliamentary reform and to tear down what he described as the jungle of companies behind which he says that taxpayers' money is being hidden. Those were five from Mr Sopardi and from Mr Picardo, an extension to St Martin's School, which we've already discussed, constitutional and parliamentary reform. Uh, I think Mr Sopardi only referred to... Uh, parliamentary reform, not to constitutional, uh, a commitment to reduce public debts and company debts. Also, Mr Picardo said that the GSOP Liberal government would publish the accounts of government companies online. And finally, he committed the party to building a sewage plant in the next four years. The rest you think there's too much of, we will do this review, we will audit that and then we'll decide? Well, this is... I'm only going by what he said on, they said on Thursday. I haven't read the manifesto in detail yet, but I imagine that there will be many so-called commitments which are really not that, uh, that firm. Uh, two yeah. issues that arise from this, if I may, very, very quickly. The fact we were talking about uh, Fabian Picardo putting St. Martin's almost at the heart of the manifesto. Is that because that could be one of those hot potatoes where the GSD already sees it as a miscalculation, saying it's too small? Um, so there have been comments uh, made on that topic, especially uh, from one of the GSD candidates. Uh, Ms Sanchez has been very outspoken about that one, and I know that it's one that's a hot topic to many voters. But to me, it was more interesting as, as I say, a matter of kind of substance and tangibility in a campaign which has very much focused more on intangible qualities. Now, that's very important when I say intangible, I'm talking about honesty, transparency, um, fighting nepotism. like Those are all incredibly important things for a political administration to get right. But they're not things that voters can physically go out and touch and see with their eyes. Um, whereas, I mean, we see from the GSOP, they love going on and on about the new schools because it's something that's memorable. It's something that you can see visually <laughs> on your work, way to work. And they and highlight, it, I think it's in bold, or at least in uppercase, it, 10 schools. Yes, yes. So that's, I think that's their attempt to pick out topics that are kind of visceral and tangible and draw attention away from the topics that are more intangible and that they're 
I think they're perceived as more weak on. So something. Um, yeah, just very quickly yeah. because I'm conscious of the time, and there's one more clip that I do want to play for you. But I believe that at a press conference today, um, Keith Asopardi of the GSD said they've got almost 600 commitments, not just reviews. And I'm not sure Stephen helped me out if it was on Thursday where Fabian Picardo said this about talking about the manifesto. Perhaps it might have been in one of the other programs where he says these are not just pretty pictures; they are commitments that we are committed to delivering. I'm not quite sure what the exact wording was, but he was almost saying that this was our contract with the people of Gibraltar. I don't think that it was in Thursday's programme. It may have been in one of the uh, press conferences, but all the governments do this. I remember Peter Caruana at one election that they released uh, a, a very pretty book with photographs of everything that had happened in the course of the GSD's terms in office. Uh, it, it, it's something which the opposition obviously cannot do, it gives the government an advantage, but all governments exploit that to their advantage if they can. It's five minutes to eight. One more clip before we round up. If you're, if you're going to hear, if I'm going to hear you, Stay in you'll hear me. Stay I am space. staying in my space. I'm staying in my space. You've been better organised. You've been able to put your poster up quicker than, than the other lot. So, well done. On your own. Well done. Mr Picardo. Well, we... we uh... I, I'm not Mr. Bigardo yet, by the way. No, I wasn't addressing you. I We're was not addressing get married, him. Are we? No. <laughs> Although now we can. Uh, in definitely Gibraltar. not. Now we can Defin in Gibraltar. Thanks to the GSOP Liberals. Just perhaps to finish on a bit of a, of a lighter note, uh, there is a relationship between the candidates. You know, you sit in Parliament together. You get to know each other a bit, like you, you and me, Stephen. You know, we worked together for many, many years. Of course, over the years, you have professional disagreements sometimes, but you know, you become friends. Not only that, I mean, in the case of Mr. Picardo and Mr. Sopan, they both started off together. They were in the same stable because they were uh, members of the Gibraltar National Party, as was Joseph Garcia, of course. So they started off as, as soulmates and slowly they drifted apart. And as they said on Thursday, they wouldn't contemplate getting married. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, your, your take on relationships between politicians? Yeah, so it's, so it's something that's definitely been built up over a, a long number of years. Though I do think, again, talking about this divisiveness, it's important that they do consider what they're saying to the general public and how they're, what they're leaning into, because younger people obviously don't have this... Younger people or people who just aren't part of that political scene don't that have that same relationship, they don't have an easy way in, and it can be very alienating for those kind of people to get a foot through the door in politics. <laughs> One final comment from each of you as we look ahead, uh, and I don't know how much you've seen of the GBC coverage so far. We have concentrated on the leaders' programme, but there have been other debates, other uh, questions. What do the candidates need to achieve over the next week, do you think, when they're appearing on these TV and radio programmes? Nick Galamaro. So, obviously, I think they have to show that they're up for the job that they're essentially applying for to the voters. But what I'd also what, what I'd also say is that they really need to show their authentic selves. So it's something that you can see the more confident, the more experienced candidates know how to lean into their strengths and stay away from their weaknesses, whereas some, some of the less experienced candidates, there can be an idea to put on a performance or to try and act like the politicians they see on TV. And really, I think it's the candidates who can come have that authenticity, speak as their true selves, that will... Stephen Eish, what are you support. looking for? Well, one thing that I would like to see is the candidates doing their homework. Because I, I feel that, not, not in every case, but there are some candidates that have appeared both on radio and television 
who gave me the impression of having just waltzed in and expect to to sit out the next half an hour or an hour without the need to have done much work beforehand. And I don't see that they they have the statistics to back up their arguments that they unnecessarily even that um, if you like, especially with the with the new candidates, the the younger people that are there, perhaps as if they don't know what the party represents. So I think that the candidates, if they want to sway the electorate in the last week, have to put on a good show and do their homework. Time to get reading those manifestos. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Nietzsche, Nick Calamaro, thank you so much for joining us on Election Watch. Thank you for listening on Radio Gibraltar or GBC Podcasts. A reminder, our coverage continues. I'll be back next week with candidates from the GSLP Liberals and the GSD in the final week ahead of polling day tonight on GBC Television at 9.25. It's the time of our for young people to ask questions of the candidates. One from the GSLP Liberals and one from the GSD will face questions from a young panel. That's tonight on GBC Television at 9.25. A reminder, as always, you can check out our TV and radio schedule on gbc.gi. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.